0: Maybe we should have kept the one behind. He could preach too. He's a fun kid, man. That's hilarious. Hey, a couple things with uh, in regard to the Ever Gospel Mission. Um, Daniel Markham, who is one of the leads down there uh, for the mission, is going to be here next Sunday just for a, a brief introduction, about five minutes, to let you know what the project will go for. And he's a he's a good buddy, and I thought it was worth us getting to know him. So he'll be here, and we can greet him warmly. Uh, this one's kind of a a fun one. So we are thinking about a possible trip to Israel, all right? a Northview trip. And uh, and so uh, we're looking at either a year from now, next November, or we're looking at a year and a half from now, next spring. So if you have an interest... Lori, do you have your bulletin on you? Thank you. If you have an interest in that, what we're trying to do is just gauge the interest level. So uh, Wendy Lucas... Wendy Sherman of, I, I'm not sure I'm even saying that right now, uh, was a former student in my youth ministry. She, she lived in Israel and uh, she's going to be our guide for the trip. And uh, so she knows Israel quite well. And uh, so if you have an interest, just tear this flange off right. Interest in the trip. Give us your name and uh, we will start collecting a list and and go from there. So. Uh, we'll announce it next week as well, but that, that should be kind of fun. And then we have some very special guests. Uh, Nate and Amy heading are here this morning. They're right there. Nate and Amy, would you come up, and can I pull you up here? Give them a hand. Would you welcome them? Okay. Now, you've heard of these people a lot. You just haven't seen them face-to-face. Nate and Amy have been The team at Cascade, our sister church over in Monroe, uh, they planted that church. They've led it for 23 years, and they are in the process of saying goodbye now. And So it's a wonderfully difficult, miserable time with joy, (laughs) right? You know how that works? And, uh, And so Nate has just taken on the role of the executive minister of our conference. So Converge Northwest, Nate will now lead it. It is an impossible job. It is a stupid job description, and uh, I'm glad it's Nate taking it and not me, all right? Uh, But he has felt led by the Lord to do that, so what I'd like to do is pray. So if we've got staff or elders this morning, would you come up and just step up here, guys. We're going to pray for you, all right? We want you guys to know them. We want you to be aware of them. Uh, We want them to know this is a church that backs them and supports them. And uh, we don't want to be a problem for him. We'll let him go fix other problems. But they need to know there's some people behind them. So would you stand this morning? Let's stand. And let's commit them to the Lord for uh, His blessing. Lord, it's a huge step, huge step of faith. You require all of us to take steps of faith. But this is a big one. And the timing's important. It's never been a more dangerous time in our culture. It's never been a more dangerous time in the church. And Lord, Nate's taken a step and so is Amy to believe that you can use them in a healing way, in a powerful way to plant more churches, uh, that your gospel would spread and Lord, that revival would actually break out in the Northwest. Lord, there have been little spurts and, and starts and stops with that, but we've never truly had an outpouring of your grace that shook the region. And Lord, this region needs to be shook. And so we... Just lift, name me, to you this morning. May an anointing and a wisdom and a grace come upon them that will help them be as big as the role. Give them a mind, give them a capacity for what you've asked them to do. Give him people that will support. Give him people that will team. Give him people that will help back him in prayer. And Lord, we seek you for that and we bless them in that. And we want to salute that and and know that we have their backs here. And we seek you for that in your name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, give them a hand. In case you don't know, I was both Nate and Amy's youth pastor. I'll take credit for Amy, not for Nate. All right. No, seriously, they're great friends. Just got to tease a little bit. Hey, take your Bibles. Last week, so we're in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we are in the series called the Gospel of Immediacy, and um, we're moving through, we're starting uh, in a new chapter this morning, but uh, last week we had the two fig tree vignettes, remember that? We talked about that Jesus was looking, went out, saw a fig tree, wasn't any fruit on it, even though it says it was a season for fruits, and He cursed the fig tree and they came back the next day and it was withered from the roots up. And then Jesus uses that illustration uh, to launch into a teaching lesson on faith and also on forgiveness. Do you remember your assignment from last week? Do you remember what it was? Some of you don't. Some of you are shaking your heads. It was who do you need to forgive? Just in case you forgot, I thought I'd remind you. In your repertoire, in your journey through life, people have sinned against you, and you have sinned against them. And in this particular instance, Jesus is talking about who do you need to forgive? And knowing that you might have forgot, I thought graciously I would just remind you that that's not off the table. As you go through your memory bank, as the Holy Spirit brings people to your mind, who do you need to forgive? It is an incredibly healing thing. kicks up all kinds of issues. Uh, by forgiving them, do, I, do they get off the hook? And all? You know, here's how I wash that. If Jesus will wash all my stuff under the bridge, I'll wash all their stuff under the bridge. All right? So it's not my job to decide if they're off the hook or not. What my job is, is to forgive them. And I want to encourage us to focus on that, and you'll see why in a minute. Uh, If you weren't here and you're thinking, my goodness, what did I just walk into? Um, You can go to our website and you can download the messages from last week uh, and get the full impact of these illustrations. But moving on this morning, this week we come to one of the more famous incidences that uh, took place in Jesus' career, and that is the cleansing of the temple. And... uh, we're going to pray this morning, and then we're going to step into Mark and look at that. So would you join me? Let's pray. Let's ask God for His wisdom that only He can give. Lord, we know there's such a thing as being human smart. There's such a thing as being human clever. There's, there's such a thing as uh, always trying to out-anticipate where everything's going. But Lord, we also know there's divine wisdom. There's a godly wisdom that often is not ours because we don't ask for it. We ask, we recognize, Lord, this morning that we are beggars. We recognize this morning that we are poor, we're blind, we're bankrupt. We realize you can see we can. not And when it comes to some of these illustrations, Lord, it has to be seen through the eyes of faith. And So we ask that you would grant us a measure of sight this morning. May you be free to be among us. May your spirit just go through, have conversations, talk individually. Uh, Lord, we want you to know you're the most honored guest. And we give that to you in your name. Amen. All right. So take your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 15. And what we'll do is we'll read through it first and then we'll pull the verses up and, uh, and take a look at them. So starting with verse 15, it reads like this. And they, that would be Jesus and the disciples, came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers, and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And evening came, and when evening came, they went out of the city. All right, so here's an incident where Jesus comes in, cleanses the temple. Let's look into that a little bit and, and kind of pull it apart. It says, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. You would have to know a little bit about the Old Testament and the offerings and sacrifices to understand that. Um, if you want to, just go to Leviticus or Numbers, and uh, you can get filled in on that. All right? And the seats of those who sold pigeons. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Now, I think a visual is helpful here. So let's just bring up a picture of the temple. This is a replica, uh, reenactment of what Herod's temple looked like. It was an incredibly magnificent uh, building that could be seen off from a far away because Jerusalem was up on the hill, much like the Dome of the Rock can be seen uh, today. And um, when we're talking about what is going on right here, we're talking actually about uh, what's of particular importance this morning is what's called the Court of the Gentiles. And this would be uh, where the Court of the Gentiles was. So if you look at the temple, look at the wall around it, uh, the court of the Gentiles is that area inside, outside of what would be called the temple proper. So you can see it's a big area on both sides, all right, and it covers uh, covers a lot of ground. All right, so th- this is the setting where it says he entered the temple. Okay. He entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. This is one of the greatest displays of outrage by Jesus in all the gospel accounts. There are two places, uh, if you ever take the time through, and by the way, we're finishing up. I just finished Revelations this last week, and uh, so I'm now trying to find other things to read, right? So we get to the first year, but we'll kick off again with reading through the Bible. And again, we have four different plans for that. And uh, we want you to join us. And you said, but I did it last year. Yep, let's go again. All right. Um, a knowledge of the word is a, a, a rich treasure. But there's two places if you read through the Bible where you find Jesus getting really upset. The first one is when they began to say that the spirit in him was dirty uh, or evil. Uh, Jesus really let them have it when they did that. And the second place where you find Jesus getting really upset is this instance right here, when his challengers diminished or tarnished his father's reputation. Okay. And so John's gospel tells us in this circumstance that he actually took some cords and fashioned a whip and drove them out. All right? So we're not talking Jesus meek and mild here. All right? He is creating a hubbub and a flurry and stuff's flying everywhere and people are like, what in the world is going on? He's overturning their tables, driving them out. It must have been quite a sight. It must have been quite a mess. right? Uh, cattle moving, birds flying, money clanging as the tables are overturned. You can just imagine the whole... I don't know, I grew up on a farm. You ever see a cow run through something? It knocks stuff over, right? And... Uh, People are retreating at a rapid pace, yelling and cursing, probably under their breath. Maybe not, right? And uh, it also says that he would not allow anyone to pass through. What does that mean? Well, respect and honor had grown so shallow that many used the court as a shortcut from one end of town to the other. So they it, it was supposed to be a place of prayer, and they just kind of came walking through, carrying stuff, and they'd been to market, and they were cutting across, and the shortest way to do that was across the temple, and so they just cut through. And it says Jesus stopped them. So the question then is this morning, so what's the big fuss over? Right? Why the brouhaha? What's actually going on here? Most of us, when we read this, are surprised to find out that all of this happened in the court of Gentiles. In our minds, most of the time, we often think it's in the holies which is that inner part of the temple, which is for the Jewish people. It's not. It's in the outer court, which is the court of the Gentiles. This is interesting because, first, um, the Jews kind of considered the Gentiles lower class or out class. Uh, You can get this by their nickname for them. The nickname of the Jewish people for the Gentiles was dogs. Very flattering. Right, and, and why God even made a place for them was hard for them to fathom. They shouldn't be here anyways. We're God's chosen. They're dogs. Why do we even need a court for them? Well, it's not that big a deal, so you know, let's just uh, turn it into a market. The second idea here that carries a lot of power is the idea of kosher. Kosher is the food or the sacrifices that were acceptable in the temple uh, offerings. And so they had to meet certain requirements. So, though dogs, they were still a valuable source of income. Right? Kind of a, one of those catch to I don't like you, but you have money. Right? Kind of things. And um, so what was supposed to be, get this, here's the setting now, what was supposed to be a court of prayer for the nations that came to seek the God of the Jews, instead became a market for pilgrims and Gentiles. They turned it into a store, basically. For pilgrims, though, this was actually a benefit. The, the origins of this were not bad. It just twisted. Uh, the the origin of this was that uh, most people that came, came on a long journey, and so often what may have been kosher when the trip started wasn't kosher by the time you've got there right remember they did not have bmw's okay they did not have hummers they did not have you know they they it was mules camels ox carts or walking so lots of stuff got beat up and the very animals they were bringing as a sacrifice may have died along the way so we're talking about that kind of, of situation so if that's true what they said was well here let's help here's kosher animals and kosher items for the for the sacrifices let us help you it it probably was a great relief not to even have to haul the sacrifices all that way and so here's where the twist came in though the twist came in when they realized they could make money off the deal okay instead of serving they realized ha huh, this is kind of cool so usury came into the equation, and usury is simply the exchange rate. What it means is, uh, in other words, it's what it took to buy their kosher animals or money. There was always, in a sense, a surcharge tax for the favor that they were doing for you. We are helping you. You should be blessed, and this is what it will cost you. Basically, is how that uh, comes out. The markup that the Jews discovered was an incredibly profitable business. And remember, we forget about this, but there was only one Jewish temple in the world, in the whole world, okay? And it was where? In Jerusalem. They literally had the corner on the market for the competition, okay? They had the thing going. And so they leveraged it to the hilt. And that's what created what Jesus walked into. They went from prayer to profit, And this enraged Jesus. What, the question comes up, was Jesus sinning when he did this? No, he was not. He was righteous. He had a righteous and godly anger and anger based off the very thing that was supposed to allow people to get closer to God was now the very thing keeping people from him. That they could or were bankrupt in trying to negotiate the system they had created. Kept, You know, people, the people back then were smart too. They knew it was a rip-off. They knew it was a tourist trap. And they're like, you got to be kidding me. And so lots of people never even tried again. They just walked away. So the very thing that was supposed to allow people to get closer to God was now the very thing keeping people from Him. And He was teaching them and saying to them, Is this not written? My, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. In our language, you're ripping people off. Okay, That's how we would say it. And you're turning them away from me. People have come from hundreds of miles to seek me, and they get here, and because of you they are walking away. What when we think of this, what had the Jews, the leaders, what what had they or what were they missing? Right? They, the Jews, were what? Supposed to be just like us. They were supposed to be a light to the world. They were to be a light to the rest of the world. They were supposed to be leading people towards God, not pushing, them, pushing him away from them. Instead of teaching them to pray, they were forcing them to pay. And remember our hapless friend last week, the poor fig tree? Everybody feels sorry for the poor little fig tree. Okay? Jesus carried more about people than fig trees. And the illustration had to do with the temple here. The fig tree was an object lesson of what was going to happen to Israel, particularly the temple. Israel was in full leaf and promising to satisfy, but had no fruit. And because of it, Jesus in an object lesson cursed the fig tree as a lesson of what was going to take place. Israel was going to wither to the root in just a few short years. We know that in 70 A.D. the temple was leveled and destroyed by the Roman general Titus. And the accounts of that are vicious. Okay? When he came in, 1.3 million people were slaughtered, according to the historian Josephus. What can be taken from this object lesson? Simply this. Jesus is not impressed with outward show. So if you're here this morning and you're trying to look spiritual as a cover-up, just know other people may be impressed, but Jesus is not impressed at all. You are a fig tree in full leaf with no fruit. Turn your Bibles. I want to show you that uh, Jesus wasn't doing this in a vacuum. Take your Bibles. I won't have it up on the screen, but turn, if you would, with me to Isaiah chapter 1. Would you? Just go to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah saw this a long time ago, and it was actually predicted. It happened to Israel. It's now in a repeat, and Jesus is working off of this grid that Isaiah laid out 700 years before uh, he showed up. Starting in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 12, he says this, When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. God's saying the mix, trying to mix sin and holiness and thinking it's okay is an abomination to him. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread your hands out, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And then come these very famous verses that we all quote, but we didn't realize it was in that context. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What I'm saying here is that the Pharisees and the leaders and the chief priests knew this was the paradigm out of which Jesus was operating. And they knew what he was accusing them of. This was momentous. Here's what this means. This means they had a chance to repent. They could have turned right there. They could have softened their hearts. They could have said, you know what? Wow, we got this all backwards. We need to get this right. Jesus, thanks for helping. They could have turned the corner. Alas, that is not what they did. It says this, And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. They missed their moment. Remember, Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that stones and kills the prophets, how I long to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not have it. They missed their moment. Jesus cleansing the temple was a fulfillment of Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. That is John the Baptist. Then following John and then the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come from his temple and the met or come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant and whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller soul. Now we know that this refers to the second coming of Jesus, but it also refers to the first coming because notice as Jesus is speaking, You go one or two ways. You either go towards repentance or you go towards resistance. And what did they choose? They chose resistance. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He'll purify the sons of Levi. Who are the sons of Levi? These priests and scribes and Pharisees that we're talking about. He'll refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. And then the offerings of Judah... And Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and the former years. Their reaction to this whole thing, how can we destroy him? Passive, aggressive, growling under their breath, they were how do we take them out? But notice they were also terrified of him. It says they it says right here they feared him. There was something about Jesus that had great authority and power that they feared. But they they feared it in the wrong way. Notice in their reactions, there's absolutely no element of surrender. Their attitude is, what are you doing here? We don't need you. We've done fine without you. Why did you even show up? Then it comes to this. And they came again to Jerusalem, so they had gone home, come back. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you the authority to do them? This is a flat-out trap. This is, they're not asking a question, right? This is a flat-out trap. The fact was that the chief priests, the scribes and the elders who came to him shows how upsetting and antagonizing his actions had been. They pulled out the big guns now. Right, These are the leaders, and they're confronting him. They were intent on arresting him on the spot and would have done so except for the fact that there was a large crowd there singing his praises. If you read the other gospel accounts of this, they're out there and, and the children are singing hosannas and people are coming to them. It, it's a huge crowd. And they're wicked and steamed because Jesus wouldn't shut down or quit what was in their eyes, an outrageous charade. We know you're a pretender. We know you're a fake. We know you're a fraud. Why are you doing this? You're wrecking the whole thing. We find that in the other gospels that the children are singing and the blind and lame came to him in the temple and, and he healed them. So there's miracles happening while this is going on. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, "Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. That means not happy. In case you didn't know what that meant. And they said to him, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to him, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. So the only and best comeback they could conjure up is along the lines of, you you know this is highly unlawful. What you're doing here. You know know, this is out of bounds, right? By what authority do you do these things? Because in their minds, there was no higher authority than who? Themselves, right? Jesus, again, now I love this. This, Jesus is absolutely brilliant. He's a genius. And he flips the tables on them with a question of his own. And watch this thing go upside down really quickly. Jesus says to them, I ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority you do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. By the way, just a heads up. Right here, this should be a real encouragement for us not to cross intellectual swords with Jesus. Just, just saying, right? In essence, what they're saying is, how dare you cross and undermine our authority? And Jesus says, well, all right. Because um, they're saying, basically what they're saying, we, we want to check your credentials. Pull out your wallet. Where's your license? Who, who gave you authority to do this? Jesus says, all right, I'll ask you one question. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authorities I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? This is brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Okay. Uh, it's beyond awesome. I wish I had the capacity to think this way under pressure and in the moment. All, right. uh, all my clever answers come to me three days later. Just, oh, I should have said that. Right. Jesus doesn't even defend himself. Watch what he does. He leverages the reputation of his cousin. He says, hey, you know my cousin, remember my cousin John? Yeah, John was a cool guy, right? Let me ask you, John, that that baptism he was doing out in the Jordan, do you think that was from heaven or from man? His cousin, John, was widely and largely regarded as one of the great prophets, as one of the prophets from of old. He was held in high, high esteem by the people. And, and many of the people in that crowd, as they're standing around, that Jesus was talking to, had participated in John's baptism, including a number of the priests. <coughs> so they knew exactly what he was talking about. Not only that, but John was considered a great martyr who had died under the total injustice of, a, of that despised ruler, Herod. Right? So you're talking hometown boy, hometown hero. Nobody higher than John. So to discredit John publicly would have been to invite public outrage. There would have been an absolute riot, and they would have been torn to pieces, and they knew it. Again, look at the genius of Jesus' question. Jesus' question is John's baptism was it from heaven or from man? Also notice that twice in this one sentence, Jesus looks them in the eye and demands that they answer him. When he asks the question, answer me. It's not, could you come up with a suggestion or what do you think, guys? Jesus is very authoritative. He looks at them and says, go ahead, answer me. So just as they were trying to pin him just a few moments ago, he now has them pinned. And a far worse catch-22, and they recognized it. They knew it. You can tell it in these verses. And they discussed with one another. That must have been... it. Wouldn't that be fun to be a fly on the wall and hear that discussion? And they discussed with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, well, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from man, well, they're afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. And so... They're wrestling with this because they knew what John had said about Jesus. Remember when Jesus showed up and John baptized him, what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. An absolutely messianic accolade. They knew exactly what he had said. And they, they answered Jesus, we don't know. Kind of like when you were stealing cookies out of the cookie jar. Where did those cookies from, come from? Gee, Mom, I don't know. I think the dog stuffed them in my pocket while I was coming in the door. Here's the point. That's not true. They actually knew very well. And they knew they were caught. They knew the answer. They just wouldn't acknowledge it. And they get a just reply back from Jesus as well. Jesus is so good at this, he says what? Well then, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. If it was me, I would have added neener, neener, neener. (laughs) Jesus is more gracious than I am. Remember the second vignette about the fig tree last week? Remember the second vignette? um, The fig tree Jesus is highlighting the importance of faith and prayer and forgiveness and talking about how this whole thing has created a stumbling block, and it's all been prophet, it's not about prayer anymore, and the nations, the Gentiles aren't even allowed to approach the God of Israel. They they miss their moment. And one of the questions for us is this, what about us? What about us? Now we can laugh at them, we can, right? I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But what about us in our present circumstances right here, right now? Your week this week, how did it go? Have we given Jesus the right to cleanse the inside of our temple? Or do we find ourselves fighting His authority? We may get on the Pharisees, right? But the question comes home to roost. What kind of trafficking or marketing took place in the temple of our hearts this week? What was allowed in that should have been prayer but pushed prayer out? When Jesus looks into the courts of our hearts, does he see prayer or does he see profit? Profit's just another word for greed, right? Is there fruit in our lives, or is it just leaves? Or are we into outward show as well? This is what I do on Sunday, and I want people to think well of me. I don't want to actually be a believer, but I want people to think I'm a believer. And I know how to posture, so I'll do it. What I'm suggesting is that if we're doing that, it won't go any better for us than it went for them. I want to suggest to you this is a very terrifying incident in the New Testament if you happen to be those scribes and chiefs and and Pharisees. They thought they were winning. They thought they were in control. They thought they had it measured out. And their answer to the whole thing was to take Jesus out. Sound like our culture today? See, here's the point. Let's understand this. I know we know this, but let's get it from our heads to our hearts. When Jesus looks in our hearts, He isn't looking for acceptance. He isn't looking for intellectual approval. Although that's important, and both of those are part of a process, that's not what He's looking for this morning. What He's looking for is surrender. Remember, what did Jesus say when he first came? Repent for what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is talking about his kingdom. He's talking about a new rule, a new authority has come. Will you submit to my authority? And ultimately, if you think about it, almost everything in life boils down to that, doesn't it? Who has the right to tell me what to do? And in this context, does Jesus actually have the right to tell me what to do? During the week, at home, when I'm alone or at work and nobody else can see what I'm doing, does he have the right to tell me what to do? And when he does, do I say yes or do I say no? Right? Then there, I hope I'm not the only one. Hello. Right? Here's the point. As a result, the the fig tree, the the Jewish nation, withered to the roots. They lost the whole thing. By AD 70, the entire thing was wiped out and destroyed, and they were scattered all over the world in fulfillment of other prophecy that uh, is in the Bible. But the point is our worship needs to come from a clean heart. So two questions this morning that I think will be helpful for us. Processing saying, well, Steve, how does this connect to me? Let me help connect it to you. All right? Two questions that I think are very worth giving some thought to. The first one is this. What needs to be driven out of my heart? If Jesus came this morning and he had whips, and he could look into my heart, what would he drive out? Not what you think needs to be driven out. What does Jesus think needs to be driven out? Have you ever asked him? What do you know that you're playing with, that you're toying with, has to go? And will you let Him drive it out so that you can pray and that you can love Him and that you can make Him number one? Because those things that have to be driven out are idols, right? And then I want to come back to the second question. By the way, who do you need to forgive? A lot of our hardness of heart is because we hold offense against those who have sinned against us, rightfully so. But if we hold on to that, that resentment over what happened starts to go toxic. And when it goes toxic, it becomes bitterness. And when it becomes bitterness, it stains everything. And you're saying, but you don't know what happened. I'm going, that's right, I don't. But Jesus does. And he told you to let go of it, and you're not letting go of it, so therefore it's sin, regardless of what you say. Who do you need to forgive? What needs to be driven out? And who do you need to forgive? Clear questions? All right, let's pray. Father, this is about your children behaving badly. We can see it in the text. We can see what they should be, we can see what they aren't. Not quite so clear this morning for us. Because we don't have the benefit of hindsight. We don't have the benefit of a a, a 2020 perspective of being able to look back. But we know that everything in Scripture is recorded to help us not do what we shouldn't do and to help us do what we should do. And we know that we live in a land of idols. We live in a land of everything else is more important than you. And Lord, we could say, well, yeah, we're the good ones because we came to church this morning. And there's truth to that, Lord. Most of the people here this morning are here because they want to be here. So it's not a good idea for their pastor to beat them up emotionally. But it's also true that we play with stuff and we get stained with stuff that shouldn't be in our hearts, that we know should be gone. That's true for them and it's true for me. And we need to let you drive that out. And it's also true in the midst of that process, we become aware of grudges, offenses, places of revenge and vengeance in our hearts where we don't want to let it to you. We want to take it into our own hands and exact our pound of flesh. And all of that messes us up. So this morning we lay that on the table before you in your Holy Spirit. You know our hearts. You can see. You know what went on this week. You know who's leaning towards you. You know who's leaning away. Encourage both this morning. Help us not to make the same mistake. Help us not to go after profit. Help us to go after prayer. Help us as we come into a season, Lord, that Christmas season where uh, they do everything to celebrate the holiday except include you. Help us to include you. And we seek that in your name. Amen.